creators outperform other marketing investments. That's why Creator continues to grow. I mean, it's almost 20 billion now in investment and it's the fastest growing segment of marketing. And there's a reason for that. It outperforms because of the trust that it builds. Um, shoppers are seeking out the creators. You're not reaching out to them with creators. Consumers, the shoppers, are finding the creators themselves and they're putting their trust in them. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Over the past few years, we have seen influencer marketing evolve from just a tactic that brands should test and try to a core component of a brand's omnichannel strategy. And of course, within that time, we have seen the evolution of the creator economy, the top players, new best practices, and new methods for brands and retailers to optimize their investments. To get the scoop on what's new and what's next, I sat down with Rodney Mason, head of marketing and brand partnerships at LTK. Now, LTK is super immersed in this world and does some incredible research on the evolution of creator-guided shopping and the creator economy as a whole. So needless to say, we have the right person on the line to not just dig into some trends, but uncover some best practices as well. Listen in and get ready to jot down some ideas. Ronnie, thanks so much for being on the show with me. I am very excited to discuss all things creators with you. Well, thank you so much, Alicia. Very excited to be here and look forward to the discussion. Yeah, so obviously LTK is extremely immersed in the creator economy and all things associated with it. And obviously we've seen this space evolve substantially from just simple influencer marketing as a tactic to something much more robust, shall we say. So how would you characterize or even distill this evolution from, say, five or even three years ago to today? I mean, five was probably (laughs) a little aggressive. Yeah, actually, I think five is great because there was this thing that happened called COVID that kind of changed behaviors dramatically. So if you jump back five years ago, a lot of people used creators or influencers, as you call them, but not the majority of people. And the way they used them was different than today. So they would find people that were similar to themselves in appearance, body type, hair color, most of the time to see how clothing and beauty products would look on someone similar to themselves. But then COVID came around and all of a sudden people really started shopping online and shopping on mobile and creator-guided shopping exploded because it simplified and expedited the shopping decisions and overall satisfaction. I mean, think about it. If you hadn't ordered a lot of products online at the time, you needed a trusted source and opinion because you didn't want to get a million packages at your house that you'd have to send back. And getting a truly authentic review and seeing a product demonstrated reduced that risk. Today, even post-COVID, now here we are at 2023, the majority of people in the US and around the world follow and shop creators that they like and trust. And they're not following creators that are just like themselves. It's not just their hair color and their body shape and things like that. They're actually following creators' lifestyles for an array of different product categories. And that's from food, electronics, home, fashion, beauty, personal care, and much more. 
And just an interesting statistic, we do a lot of research. We also have a lot of data, but we've seen that 47% of Gen Z in a recent study we did say that they're less likely to return an item after seeing a creator describe or demonstrate it in a video. And we've seen that on our platform. So as people are using creators, their returns go down. And that was just from a study we did just in the last month. But really interesting how things have evolved. Yeah, for sure. And it's so funny to see that evolution when we think about the impact or influence of these creators. I felt like for a long time, we were very focused on, I guess you could say like vanity metrics. So like the number of likes, the number of follows, and that ties into some key marketing objectives. But when you bring up the fact that returns go down, I mean, that's when we get into like the nitty gritty ROI beyond marketing returns. But before we get too deep into all of that, I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later. I do want to bring up the fact that obviously, as the creator economy has evolved, as influencer marketing has evolved, we've kind of seen this establishment of figureheads (laughs) emerge, so to speak, in this world. So we've seen the rise of the mega influencer. And of course, more creators kind of get into the game to try to get at their piece of the pie. And obviously, it's become a business, a way for people to make money in and kind of build their own brand in these spaces. I'm curious, has there been an impact on consumer trust as a result of this? I mean, it's kind of hard. Like, obviously, you talk about the fact that consumers see these products being tried out. They like the products. They're less likely to return them. But I mean, I feel like I've kind of seen instances of consumers being a little bit weary, especially of those mega influencers now that they've kind of monetized their following and even their own personal brand in this case. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. And, you know, there's kind of two sides of that coin. So consumers actually trust creators more than ever. We do studies all the time and the trust keeps going up. In fact, Gen Z is trusting creators more than the opinions of friends and family, which forever, if you did studies on consumers, friends and family were the number one opinion that people trusted most. But with Gen Z, it's now creators for the majority of Gen Z. But if you look at like, say, Gen Z, who do they follow most in creator size? It's really a tie between micro and macro creators. So micro being those with 10 to 100,000 followers and macro being those with 100,000 to a million. Mega creators, the ones you're talking about, they're really not that many of those. You think there are because you see them in the press and things. They are followed, but they're not as popular. And neither, surprisingly, nanos, you hear a lot about nano creators and things with 10,000 or less followers. They're not as popular either. They're kind of getting their footing. So they usually, if they're going to be trusted, they grow that following pretty quickly and they grow out of nano. But a common mistake that brands and retailers make when they're selecting creators is making selections based on the size of their followings. You know, it's old school advertising that says, oh, I need to reach 100 million people or I need to reach 50 million people to get my message across. Creator is really a quality message. You're highly engaging people. And it's not uncommon, you know, follower count does not always typically equate to effectiveness and engagement. Effective creators have loyal, engaged followings regardless of the follower account. So it's possible and common for a creator with 25,000 followers to sell and drive more engagement than one with a million. And you go back to the consumer, it's all just based on trust. So yeah, there's mega influencers and there's other things. There's a lot of noise in the market, but most people are not following those people. They have their own following, but it really hasn't changed the macro opinion of creators. Got it. So people are kind of finding their own way and 
connecting with the ones that just resonate with them more naturally. So it doesn't really impact the industry as a whole, just more so how how and which creators they plan to follow and trust, basically. That's correct. Awesome. Okay. So I guess your point around quality versus quantity kind of ties into my next question, because obviously we've been hearing a lot about the pressure marketing teams are under. They're more strapped for time. They're more strapped for resources. In many cases, they're strapped for budget, right? So they're thinking about how to better diversify their portfolio of tactics and of course, optimize their investments, right? Like we're hearing the CFO and the finance team are kind of keeping a close watch on the efforts that that marketing is making, both from the brand and performance marketing perspective. Is this going to impact the creator economy at all, both in, in terms of the current state and the future? Like which way do the scales tip, I guess, in the creator economy's favor or not? Great question. I was going to put a surprise into here and say it absolutely is going to impact the creator economy, but it's going to be for the positive. And that's because creators outperform other marketing investments. That's why creator continues to grow. I mean, it's almost 20 billion now in investment and it's the fastest growing segment of marketing. And there's a reason for that. It outperforms because of the trust that it builds. Um, Shoppers are seeking out the creators you're not reaching out to them with creators. Consumers, the shoppers, are finding the creators themselves and they're putting their trust in them. So what you have is as brands start to work with creators, creators will not just work with a brand or the good creators that are engaging. They don't just work with a brand. They have to like the brand and use the product. So there's just the significant trust. You see a better return on ad spend. So if you're considering what you're investing in creators ad spend, you're actually seeing trackable sales. Or if you're not, you should be seeing trackable sales because that's one of the top measures for creators, which everything we've seen blows away return on typical ads. And then you're just seeing more engagement. And then when you start doing brand lift studies and other types of traditional studies that advertisers do, you just see a significant lift. So really, we feel like Creator is at a similar tipping point to where social media was several years ago. When it was growing and becoming sizable and people were talking about it, it was a better value than any other advertising because it drove results and actually drew significantly to become a dominant media. And that's really where we feel Creator is going to be because that's what shoppers want and that's where their heads are. Got it. Got it. So you mentioned earlier some research that LTK conducted. And I know within that research, which of course we'll we'll be sure to link to in the show notes, there's this whole notion of creator-guided shopping. And of course, there are some trends that connect to that or even support the rise and evolution of creator-guided shopping. So what are some of those trends that kind of help make the case for the value and the longevity of this trend that we're talking about today? Yeah, I mean, some really important insights that we've uncovered. I mentioned earlier, Gen Z trust creators more than friends and families' opinions. And the majority of all people, especially Gen Z and millennials, trust creators more than ads. We've seen that perform side by side against ads. But we've also seen it in the research and we've run studies all the time, but we just ran one here in March. And what we found is that the majority of Gen Z and millennials are shopping creators' lifestyles across all major product categories. And we actually get down into the product categories. And it's pretty amazing. Things like cleaning products and things that you never saw before in their shopping. Video has become very, very important component of creators. 
73% of Gen Z are watching creators' videos. And within video, long form used to be really popular, but it's really about short form video now. It's a recent trend that simplifies product demonstrations in a quick and concise way for mobile shoppers. And it outsells other content. We're seeing short form video content posts are up 5x year over year. So creators are posting a lot more of it. And when you see a trend with creators, you know what's working because that's how they monetize their business. And we're finding, because we track sales through our platform, we're finding that video drives 3x GMV growth compared to static content. Also, there is a misconception that creators are typically on one platform for video. So we study creators and we study consumers. And you'll hear like, oh, they're a TikTok creator or they're an Instagram creator. That's not really who creators are now. What we're seeing is the majority of creators work across platforms. They're diversified and they're recruiting their audiences from these platforms. They're not a TikTok creator. They're a creator who happens to be on TikTok and Instagram and other platforms. Looking at parents, that's a really important segment. Things we've seen in our research, parents with children in the home, the number one reason they shop creators is helping them to discover new products. Number two reason is creators evaluating product quality. So they use creators, hey, I'm trying to find a new product. What's your opinion of this? But also, how good is the quality of something that I'm about to buy? And the top categories that parents with children in the home are buying from creators CPG, consumer packaged goods, is number one. That's primarily food. Number two is fashion, electronics, and home and garden. You think about it, you're like, where's the beauty products in that? But with children in the home, electronics are really important as our home and garden. Yeah, some really interesting stuff there because I know in my past conversations or even past coverage of influencer marketing, I feel like there's always this assumption or I don't know if bias is the right word, but like we always associate it, I guess, with fashion and beauty, which of course is key. But I think your point around CPG, cleaning products, I mean, parents, I mean, I I just think that's like a fascinating segment because there is so much that's unknown as you're navigating through like this wild journey that, you know, you're just looking for trusted advice, right? And that encompasses everything from the products you have in your home to what you feed your child to even the toys and games that you play with them, right? So I think showing all those use cases really indicates just how powerful this vehicle can be if you find the right creators to support and elevate your story and their own personal use cases. So, I mean, with that, are there any other channels or commerce trends that are supporting this elevation and next era of creator-guided shopping? Yeah, we're seeing a giant one, and that is retail media networks. You're starting to hear about it a lot. Retail media networks just in general are growing exponentially, in part because of trust and privacy issues and tracking issues that have stemmed mainly from social platforms. And so these retail media networks, and we work with pretty much most of them, almost all the major retailers, particularly in North America, but we work with them around the world. And these networks are becoming really important for those retailers and also creators because it's a whole new market. So for brands that want to be more relevant and closer to sales while building stronger relationships with retailers and gaining better access to shop performance data, data, retail media networks are an excellent platform to assist in scaling their own creator-guided programs. So you think of retail media, hey, I'm on this big retailer and I want to buy some search or I want my ad to pop up here. Well, there's also opportunities to go through those networks to engage with influencers. 
and retail media networks empower retailers to scale creator engagement and effectiveness to drive shoppers to very specific partner products sold on their sites and in store. So it's not just about driving to their website for a transaction, because if you're a CPG brand, you might sell some stuff on a retailer's website, but you're going to sell a lot more in store. And so these networks are designed to not only drive shoppers online, but also drive them in store. And they really empower retailers to scale this engagement and effectiveness. There's a lot of data. So you have all the creator data, you have the store data. And while creators are driving shoppers to shop for specific items for the retailers, in most instances, the shoppers are shopping around the retailer store. So it's a huge win for the retailers. They get their partners to run the influencer programs. It elevates those brands and products in the store. So the brand wins. And then the retailer gets the shop around from it. So there's a huge halo. So you've got these massive retailers with these retail media networks and brands are moving a lot, billions of dollars into those categories. And it's a perfect platform for influencer. We're just seeing massive, massive growth with influencer through those retail media networks. That is so interesting. I mean, I know we've definitely been covering a lot on the evolution of retail media and what that looks like possibly going into the store. So if possible, I'd like to dig into some of those implications a little bit. I mean, I know you covered a little bit already, but what are the implications for the retail media companies, right? Whether that be a big box retailer that's getting into retail media or even like, say, like the Amazons of the world, because I I feel like the story is getting more robust. So like, what do like those folks need to know in terms of like the value of including creators in this whole process? And then, I mean, if it makes sense, can we touch on the brand implications as well? Or is that a whole separate conversation? (laughs) Yeah, no, I think we can talk about all the above, which really fascinating. Like I literally left a meeting this week, major, like one of the largest retailers in the world. And the reason they originally came to us was they had been shopping influencers. So they're like, you know, we want to do something edgy here, but everybody's asking for it. So all the brands are asking for it. Hey, can you get us an influencer through your retail media network? We want to tie all the data together. So from a retailer perspective, they're hearing it from the brands. The brands are actually asking for it. But again, when they sit down, they're like, this is too good to be true. I've got these brands willing to fund. They're coming in, buying my media, driving traffic to my site. They're giving me shop around in this huge halo. It's a perfect win for the retailers. When you think about the brands, in the old days, retail media, if you go way back, was co-op media and there weren't as many digital opportunities. Amazon kind of changed that. They changed the dynamic for everybody because of search on their site and ads on their site. And then everybody, all the retailers said, oh, this is a media platform. Yes. So they moved to that. But for brands and co-op, it used to kind of be a necessary evil. We want to work with the retailers and we need to be close to them and we want to help support their program. So we'll do this. Now they're seeing like, Retail media, even without influencer, is performing better for them than most mediums. They get excellent data. And then you take something like influencer that they're, some of them are either new to or they've been successful in, and they can put it on there and it just ties it even closer to the sale. So it's a, on both sides, it's just been a huge win. And we just, I mean, we just keep seeing growth. When someone tries influencer on a retail media network, creators on an influencer, retail media network, they'll do a couple of tests and then they just do more and more. So that's just the typical scenario that we see. That's awesome. And I think it ties to like this big, bigger story or bigger best practice around 
how brands can best reuse and repurpose the content that's being created, right? Like we kind of talked earlier about the pressure that the marketing teams and creatives are under just to, just to perform at the speed and scale that's required to be on all of these different platforms and through all these different media networks, right? Like there are, there are different parameters, different content best practices. In this case, right, it's like being able to source and reuse the right creator content to drive action across all of these different channels, right? Like there truly is an art and science to this, I think. So can you share any examples of how like brands can best reuse and repurpose the content that's being created by their creator community? Yeah. And I'll keep it really simple. There's a few things that you can do that just literally, they're massive in amplification. The best thing that anybody can do with an influencer program is what's called media boosting. You might hear of it, you might think of it as what is truly whitelisting, but what media boosting is, it really is the most effective way to elevate creators posts. And what you do is you go inside the creator's profile. So they've made a post on your behalf and within their profile, they, the influencer can boost their post to new audiences. Now, having a creator do that versus you typically want to work with like a curated platform that has the creators that have their business on the platform. And then the platform can go in with permission from the creators to boost their posts. And what that allows you to do is you can go exponentially. So think about a creator. They might have 25,000 followers. They're highly effective. They're excellent at engagement. You could go in there and you could target a million people that look like those 25,000 people or a half million people or people within a two mile radius of your stores in North Carolina. There's just a multitude of ways of using the social channels that they're putting their posts on and amplifying their reach. I would say that's far and away media boosting is number one. And I highly recommend it's really hard for a brand to do that. And it's hard to work with a lot of different creators to do it. But if you're working with a platform that has the creators on the platform, and has the permissions to go in and boost it. That's far and away the most potent way to scale creator. Another really popular thing to do that brands, a lot of brands will do themselves is called whitelisting. And that's where you buy the rights to the creator content. So creators will make posts and then you'll take their posts and their content and those brands or retailers will create their own ads using creator. And we've seen tests with whitelisting against traditional ads and the whitelisting wins. And every case that I've ever seen, whitelisting will win. Whitelisting never outperforms media boosting because it's not as authentic and genuine. And a lot of times brands have, they've got creative teams and they want to go in and change things or do things with creators content to make it cleaner or more brand centric. And when you do that, it's less authentic to consumers. They kind of see through it. Not being critical of that, that definitely is effective. But that's another way to scale. And another interesting thing, if brands have a lot of followers themselves on social media, which most do, most brands do, and most retailers do, creators, taking the creator's post and liking and share them actually can enhance the brand and retailer's following, can actually attract new people to them, but also amplify and drive to transactions as well. And a really interesting thing or way to approach this or think about another opportunity is another benefit of working with creators is they're emotional, they're happy. So when they really like a brand, they don't just, most of them, not always, but most of the time, they don't just post for the time that they're paid once or twice or three times, they'll organically post. So if you are working with creators and you 
follow them regularly, you're going to see them unpaid sometimes posting about you. And as a brand and as a or a retailer, you'd want to like and repost those as well. And that's a really good practice. Yeah, I would agree. That way it feels more like an actual relationship and, and it seems like it more authentic versus like, oh, we're just going to engage with this creator when they're doing the paid advertising and the paid opportunities for us. There are a lot of different things you just shared in your last response. And of course, there are many more applications for creator content, resharing creator content. So, I mean, this may be a rabbit hole question. I mean, what should our listeners be thinking about in terms of measuring the impact of their creator partnerships. Like we, we talked a little bit about there's like the high level metrics, but of course we have to think about like the actual ROI. So any tips or recommendations around how they should be thinking about this? Yes, and pretty prescriptive actually for it. First and foremost, if you're working with creators, it's always excellent, excellent, excellent to track the sales. And what you need to know is part of the reason you do that is a best way to compensate creators, you can pay them and that works. And especially if you're just driving awareness, but if you compensate them on sales, you provide them commissions on sales, they work much, much, much harder and you get better results. So if for no other reason for tracking sales, even if you're just looking for awareness, track sales and offer commissions to creators and working in creators that way, then you have the tracking of sales, which can help you in several different ways. First of all, most of the tracking that you have on sales is not the complete picture. We see in our research and our data that you get a conservatively a two to three X amplification of those sales. And just, I mean, really simply from reposts that happen of all the creators, followers that repost that aren't tracked. And then you also get it with in-store sales because most in-store, we're starting to track in-store, but most campaigns are not built to track in-store sales. And we've got all kinds of research that shows that there are sales in store. So tracking sales would be number one. But the other thing to track, we do a lot of brand studies, especially for major retailers and brands. We'll do brand studies and we'll do aided and unaided recall if they're using creators and then how creators are impacting their brand and building trust with them and the categories that they're impacting and if it's making them shop at stores more. And we've seen some major, major, major retailers changing demographics using creator, for instance, pulling in more Gen Z or more certain types of millennials. We've seen, we've actually tracked that and followed it. And all those things, you kind of use traditional research with the creator spin on it. But all those things, when you start doing that in stereo, you can just see growth. Now, the other thing we have at LTK, we're the largest influencer platform and we actually are the only one with a shopping app. So we have 20 million monthly shoppers. They come in, they don't actually buy from LTK, they buy through LTK. So we see data and trends there all the time as well. And we can see if a brand is trending organically versus not. So we don't just see the paid sales, but we see how brands are trending and the products within those brands. So if you're working with a partner, not a plug for us, but just someone that has that kind of tracking, you can see that as well. Oh, it's very cool. Before we close out our, our conversation, Ronnie, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about, we're talking about the creator economy and we've talked a lot about the different levels of creators and you know the different types of partnerships that brands can form. I'm curious about your thoughts on the role of associates and even HQ employees as creators and influencers. Like is there a balance that 
can be made or should be made for maximum impact? Or are there certain cases where it's like, nah, it's not really, doesn't really make sense for certain types of brands, like best to stick with the expert creators, so to speak? Yeah, there's this fine line really between a spokesperson and a creator. And sometimes people get confused with that. What I would say is an employee, especially a founder or someone involved in the creation of the brand, they can be an excellent trusted spoke source, especially for insider information, providing unique brand perspective. They can do a lot of amazing things. And, and I would highly encourage that, especially if they're really believable and trustable. You can go through the history of advertising and a lot of campaigns have been effective because of that, like Wendy the Snapple Lady, or you know, there's been founders of pizza companies that appear in their commercials and things like that. And it works. Or Johnny Morris at Bass Pro Shop, he actually uses his boats and people love him. But that said, the greatest value that creators provide their followers is uh, trusted lifestyle recommendations on a day-to-day basis on their phone. So if you have the CEO of a company or an employee of a company, first of all, you don't have the scale there. And just by the nature of not being independent from the company and not promoting other, not promoting other brands, but reviewing other brands and giving your opinion, then you just don't have the effectiveness. So I would say it's a great tactic for corporate communications and for even brand advertising, but it's not truly a creator. You could argue there might be some cases that are, but again, that wouldn't be scalable. Got it. Got it. No, it's definitely helpful. So obviously LTK has its finger on the pulse of this fascinating and quickly evolving world of retail plus marketing plus the creator economy. So as we close up our time together, Rodney, I'd love for you to share any key takeaways that you'd like to share with our listeners who are very likely at varying stages of this maturity curve of leveraging and optimizing creator content? Or like, even if it's not best practices, are there any warnings or red flags that they should be on the lookout for as they start to move forward with their initiatives? Yeah, I'll give a few tips here. Great question. Kind of, there's a lot of different ways we could go here. But the first thing I would say is start with creator selection first versus social channel selection. You hear, I said earlier, you hear about certain channels and people think, oh, this channel's hot or that channel. There's always new disruptive channels and trends emerging in social media. And for this reason, effective creators work across those social channels and they're out there recruiting their followers. They know how to engage them and bring them back. So if you're looking at a campaign, never say, I want a YouTube creator, I want a TikTok creator or Instagram because they don't really exist now. Creators are agnostic, they work across the platforms, look for good creators that align with your brand, actually use your brand. The next thing is social channels have attempted to harness and control the power of creators and to become shopping destinations themselves. But if you just Google it or look at the press, they've not succeeded at all. And that's because creators are the experts at attracting loyal shoppers and social platforms are experts at entertaining and keeping eyeballs on the page. So two completely different things. Creators are there for trust. And so again, just thinking about creator first. Another important thing I would say, as you're looking at creators, you wanna make sure you have curated creators. They're the most effective way to engage and scale. And just for edification, if people don't know what curated creators are, you could go to a platform and they promise you millions of creators. Really what they do is their bots go out across social media and pulling creators and give you stats. And then you have to create the relationship with all these people. And that's kind of like yourself getting on Google and finding creators. Like that's not 
a highly effective way. But if you work with platforms that curate their creators, meaning the creators have to actually perform and qualify to even be on the platform and they're running their businesses there, then you're in a situation where you've got truly vetted performance creators, highly engaged, and it's much easier to manage and scale. And also another really important thing that really came about in Q3 of last year, Q3, Q4, uh, there's privacy changes on the social platforms. So what Meta said and some other platforms said is, hey, if you're a social platform or a brand or anything else and a creator is not opted in to receive messages from you, you can't send them messages. And so what that created is the platforms that had curated creators, the ones that were already sitting on their platforms, running their businesses on those platforms, were opted in for that messaging and there was no impact. But for others, it's really difficult to have those communications because the social platforms are blocking you. You want a real level of partnership. You want to think creator first. You want to think curated creators. And also don't think small. Think about scaling. Like media boosting is a way to move dollars that you've got allocated over into other areas of media and just simply going in and, and boosting your creators and you can get a lot of scale out of it. Amazing, Rodney. What a great way to close things off. I think we did a good job of digging into the trends, but also getting some actionable nuggets there for our listeners. So thank you so much for taking the time out to chat with me. Like I said, this is a very fast evolving space. We've been tracking it for many years now. So always great to get the perspective of someone who is helping brands do the work, living and breathing it every day. So really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And to all of you, hope you found this conversation not just enjoyable, but educational as you strive to build out your creator partnerships and strategies as you go through 2023 and beyond. Like I said, be sure to check out the show notes. We'll include some uh, research and resources there that support this conversation. And of course, we'd love to keep the conversation going too. Leave us a line on LinkedIn at Retail Touchpoints or on Twitter at our Touchpoints. And of course, leave us a rating or review. We'd love to hear your thoughts on these conversations, if they're helpful, if they're actionable enough. And also what topics and trends you'd love for us to dig into in the future. And of course, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the show. That way you get the latest conversations delivered directly to your device. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and frankly, anywhere else you get your podcasts, we are likely there. But that's it for now, everyone. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.